You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology in Carolina. Post-Fed rally for the Nasdaq 100. Progress in the battle on inflation. Warning on rates. And we haven't even got to earnings yet. Macro and the micro is super important for certain names too, Ed. Let's talk about it. Meta surging after earnings relief. Plans to buy back shares. The company focusing on efficiency. We dig into the short-term cost cuts and the long-term goals as it also wins court approval to buy VR startup within. Plus, my exclusive conversation with Palantir CEO Alex Karp, who has some pointed words for shareholders and potential new hires. And crypto hackers stole more money than ever before in 2022. That's as Kathy Woods' ARC doubles down on its $1 million target for Bitcoin. First, I want to go straight to our Bloomberg reporter, Alex Barinka, who has all the key takeaways from Meta's earnings. Alex, what were the top lines? I mean, the biggest thing here with this 18% stock bump, bump I think, is going to be the cost cutting. Uh, Meta has had some kind of shaky ground with investors over the last 12 months because of how much they say they're spending on things like this far-flung vision of the virtual reality metaverse. Well, they have come back to earth, it seems, and actually lowered their expectations for 2023 for their costs to about 89 to $95 billion in expenses for the year. I think uh, the icing on the cake on that that's probably exciting investors is the addition of $40 billion to their share or purchase plan. Again, Meta stock sold off the most ever, the most for a year ever in 2022. It's recovered a little bit, certainly more today, but adding a little bit to that buyback has certainly got folks excited. Now, in terms of the broader market and what we might also see from Alphabet tomorrow, I'm looking at the top line estimates for the first quarter. For revenue, they're projecting 26 to $28.5 billion. Uh, that basically straddles the average analyst expectation. So I think there might be some clues under the hood here that the general malaise in the ad market is leveling off, similar to what we heard from Snap yesterday. But as the earnings call gets started here, I'm sure that there'll be questions on both costs, metaverse aspirations, and where that revenue stabilization is coming from. And I'm sure.
your competition with a company that you focus a lot in on, which is TikTok. So it is notable that we're getting that buy, that push up in the shares, but we're still half of where we are in the value of Meta stock from this time last year. Anything in terms of where their market share is looking or their own cannibalization with the fact that they're you know discounting, giving cheap ads on Reels, for example. Exactly. That that is that Reels narrative is one that was really big last earnings cycle, and I'm sure they'll get questions now. Reels is their answer to TikTok. It's short form videos that's served up to you based on an algorithm. It's really sticky and users are liking it and they've shown some kind of strides in getting users on board and spending more time there. The problem is it doesn't make as much money for them as other places where they could serve ads on Facebook and Instagram. So last earnings cycle three months ago, they said this will be a 12 to 18 month process until they can close that gap. A hundred percent, I'm sure folks are looking to get an answer on the progress on that front. Hey Alex, as you wrote in the Top Live blog, investors have been laser focused on spending, but the number that caught my eye is this 2 billion Facebook core platform user base, 70 million uh, growth from the same time last year. How surprising is that? It's a bit surprising. Remember, Facebook's been around for, what, almost two decades now. So to see a rise of 70 million users and actually clear that benchmark of 2 billion people using Facebook every day is an interesting little number for a, a platform that's been around for a while. They've been making changes to Facebook. They've been bringing in things like Reels. It seems like they're listening to what users are liking from perhaps other platforms and bringing that into their legacy app. So I'm sure that they will be bragging about that. Mark Zuckerberg was in the statement in the release um, about that and also about what he's calling 2023, which is the year of efficiency. So those two things definitely seem to be the top two that they are selling to investors as they uh, let out these earnings today. Alex Brunker, just the perfect summation of all that we've just got in the last hour or so. Let's get even more of a deep dive for you. Deborah Aho-Williamson is with us, Principal Analyst over at Insider Intelligence. And you were looking at the daily active users of Facebook as well and the engagement. It's interesting, both Snap and Facebook, well, Meta, the parent company, showing people are still coming to their platforms. They're adding eyeballs. But what about the actual revenues, about the ads that be, being bought? Yeah, well, I mean, it is a good sign, just to say right straight out. It is a good sign that both daily active users and monthly active users for a platform like Facebook that is, you know, quite, quite old in uh, social network terms is still gaining, right? So they're really, the, you have to take that as, as an important sign. Um, that said, that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident that the gains are mostly going to be outside of the core advertising markets, which would be the United States and Europe. Um, and, the, and that is where uh, Meta has been able to, for a long time now, generate uh, you know, a significant portion of revenue, be able to charge more for advertising, uh, sophisticated advertisers. And so I think where you're seeing the dichotomy here is, um, and this is true for Snap as well, is that because the growth is in areas where there is um, you know, underdeveloped markets or um, you know, underdeveloped advertising businesses, uh, that is uh, impacting the, uh, the overall revenue mm. picture for the company. What's also to be put into perspective, which I know you highlight time and time again, I mean, this is enormous amount of revenue this company's pulling in, 32 billion on a quarterly basis, more than 116 on an annual. But revenue's down, and it's been down for three straight quarters now. Absolutely. And, you know, if we pull 
back to look at the full year, uh, you know, as we expected, Meta closed the year with its first year-over-year decline in ad revenue. Um, but the downturn was slightly less than we thought, about 1% versus our expected 2% decline. Uh, but, you know, that's that's not all actually a good sign when you think and pull back to 2021, which uh, was a year when worldwide ad revenue grew nearly 37%. So we, are, we have seen a huge swing in the performance of this company, uh, partially because of external factors like either the worldwide economy, uh, the changes that Apple made to its privacy that affect the, the, uh, the effectiveness and the efficiency of the advertising. Uh, but also, I mean, I, it, it, it's true that I think when you think about where Mark Zuckerberg has been focusing his time and attention, it's been on the metaverse. And I think to some extent, last year, he took his eye off of the ball of the fact that Facebook and Instagram are the two biggest worldwide social platforms, mm. and there's still room to mm. grow. And I, I think that was something that, that I think they're trying to rectify now going into 2023. Well, he called 2023 the year of efficiency, which sounds very much like something shareholders have wanted to hear for some time. The other thing shareholders like to hear, Deborah, is buybacks and more of them meta boosting their buyback authorization by 40 billion. We're showing on the screen uh, this chart. Is this just Meta buying its own dip? Uh, yes. So this is an area because insider intelligence focuses mostly on looking at revenue and usage metrics. Um, I can't specifically comment on that, but I think anything just bottom line that Meta is doing to, uh, you know, to improve its its profitability, to uh, reduce expenses, to, uh, you know, to counteract this sort of revenue shortfall is going to be good for the company. Deborah Aho Williamson, thank you so much for joining us, principal analyst at Insider Intelligence. And the other story we can't get away from, OpenAI, introducing a $20 per month subscription for a premium version of ChatGPT. ChatGPT Plus will offer access to the chatbot even during peak times with faster responses to typed queries and early access to new features. OpenAI is eagerly trying to find viable business models to cover the high cost of running its products, including, of course, the multi-million billion dollar I should say deal with Microsoft. Shares of Peloton absolutely soaring as the company reported improved cash flow and a narrower net loss in the last quarter. CEO Barry McCarthy is saying the questions about the viability of the business they've been put to bed. Have they? Joining us now, Shweta Kajuria. Director of Internet Equity Research over at Evercore. Shredder, are they put to bed? Is extinction behind us? I think so. First of all, thanks for having me. I think the question is not about extinction anymore. I guess the question is uh, whether this is going to be an epic comeback, which is what Barry said in his, in his letter. I call it a very, very respectable comeback right now with the free cash flow that they posted, excluding some of the one supplier-related costs. Uh, what is becoming increasingly clear is that this business is self-sustainable uh, on a free cash flow basis, which is what their number one priority was. What remains unclear is what, uh, how should we think about growth for this company? You mentioned comeback. We asked our own audience if they felt that this was evidence of the Peloton comeback. These are the results. Pretty overwhelming 
no, not convinced, 66% of respondents. I guess, what is it that the consumer feels right now for Peloton? How do we assess the user base and the growth potential based on the bullish commentary from management? There is certainly a very good following for those who own the device. The NPS score remains very high. Uh, the usage and engagement with the product remains very robust. And the retention rates are intrinsically very high for this business when we compare them to some of the other subscription-based businesses. What uh, is unclear is how many more of these uh, internet-connected home fitness uh, equipment can they sell in the market? What is the actual growth rate? How fast is the industry growing? And can Peloton grow faster than the overall industry? Are we tapping out of the market opportunity? Uh, or is it uh, is this something that can grow in the double-digit growth rate? The jury's out. Well, sorry to interrupt, but I was going to say the jury is out. As I look across the sell-side reaction, I guess mm-hmm. the, the, the concern is we, we believe Barry McCarthy in the near term. We don't yet have any evidence of what the growth story is two or three years from now. That seems to be the skepticism out there. That's exactly right. So what is in their control was cutting down costs, headcount reduction, uh, variabilizing the cost from fixed cost to variable cost, as well as uh, inventory management, better inventory demand management. And all that they have done, and it's in the past, and they've done a great job since Barry came on board. What is not in their control is really driving demand. How much uh, of a balance will they need to do with marketing spend to drive this incremental demand uh, and also maintain positive free cash flow profitability? And what is also what is unclear among those who are not very happy with Peloton is the recent shift in outsourcing their customer service. And so the Mm. experience that customers used to have is not the same in terms of expecting the, you know, the the customer service that they have been, um, as well as the delivery uh, expectations of the equipment. Yeah, got to build your own. Shweta, I'm I'm interested, therefore, in what they now need to prioritize and execute on. Is it more important that these partnerships like Dick Sporting Goods, Amazon, that they work out? Or is it about self-investment, ensuring that they are updating the the app as they need to, that they are improving customer service as they need to? It, it will be a blend of both. Uh, it is a very clear that customer service needs to be uh, better than what it has been in the recent past, but uh, increasingly important is how the incremental user base that they will get. So the, the key growth drivers uh, that they will benefit from are not only the distribution uh, partners that you called out and increasing those to include, include more retailers, but also international markets. They launched Tread in Australia. Uh, they could expand into different uh, countries as well as ca- product category expansion. And uh, the what they call fitness as a service product, which is really their rental right. program, as well as certified pre-owned, which is if you own some uh, and you want to sell that, and that drives. Essentially, they're trying to make it easy for an average customer to, uh, to buy this uh, relatively more expensive equipment. Right, but they also have relied, of course, on promotions and holiday season sales. Thanks to Shweta Kajuria, Director of Internet Equity Research at Evercore. Now, coming up, some of my exclusive conversation with Palantir CEO Alex Karp. That is all to come next. A fascinating, combative conversation. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message, and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. 
Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Palantir, the at times mysterious data analysis software firm, is making more commercial deals. It's a change of strategy for a company that's thrived in chaos, winning government and military contracts from the pandemic and war in Ukraine. I sat down for an exclusive interview with Palantir's CEO, Alex Carp, and asked him how investors should view him, his view on Silicon Valley and global tech's perspective on Palantir. Take a listen. We are a company whose most important purpose is to power the West to, to even higher heights in the commercial and in the government context. And we've done this in anti-terror, in the context of the pandemic, in the context of war, in the context of data protection. And you really can't do that if you're going to also transfer those technologies indirectly or directly to your adversaries. And we've never done it. You were talking on stage about how you're a public company and you have a responsibility to your shareholders. And at times in the last 20 years, shareholders have complained to you, like, why are you doing this? It's loss making. Or why are you not doing that? And we talked about your strategy. Investors haven't really cheered it if you purely go off the share price performance. What is your message to them today about well, the deals we're announcing? So, we are a company that has a primary mission. The primary mission is to make the West stronger and better. That mission has secondarily led to 61% CAGR over 20 years, 35% CAGR in the U.S. government. And the share price is, thing is, I think, a little bit of a red herring because all tech is down. I don't think our shares have been any more punished than anyone else's. So if you are an investor and you want to go long on transforming our country and our allies, you have a home at Palantir. I have never, ever, ever wavered from that statement. And if you don't want to invest in us because of that, you shouldn't. And if you're investing in us thinking I'm going to change, you're making a mistake. You, you, we lay our cards on the table. There is nothing besides transparency here. We have a, when we went to the Ukraine, I didn't ask them, can you pay us? I said, here's the product. If I had gone to Standard Investor, I'd be like, well, you can't do this until they pay you. When we started off in America on the pandemic and in Britain, we said, look, we can help. This is the primary mission of our company. And I think where I'm very aligned with investors is they're hearing the truth. I'm not saying, hey, we might change this policy. We might do crazy deals in adversarial countries. We might put the other missions ahead of our point. No, and by the way, I tell the most important investors that every day, Palantirians, and I tell our retail investors whom I revere that every time I go on TV, 
in you know what you're buying when you buy Poundier. In the spirit of transparency, you, you yourself have sold stock regularly since the lockup expiry in 2021. Um, in the full, in the fairness of full transparency, in the last year or so, I've only sold for tax reasons. There's been no financial okay. sales. I'm grateful to be here with you in Palo Alto. I'm surprised to be here with you in Palo Alto. You, you've talked about monoculture in Silicon Valley. You moved the company to Colorado, and you've not come back often in the last three years. Because Silicon Valley has obviously failed in its mission to produce technology that's useful and useful for the world and makes it a better place. And we were, I think, the first reasonably large company to leave. And now I'm very happy to come back and say, look, you know, on occasion, you know, our position is a position we're proud of and be surrounded again by people who disagree with me. There are many woke engineers, I think those are words you've used, that have lost their jobs recently at some tech giants. I know that you're looking at growth. Are you open to hiring those engineers? Do not join Palantir if you are not willing to support the US military and its allies. You can have, by the way, any political opinion you want, as long as that's not a question for you. If it is a question for you, do not, Palantir is not your home. Unapologetic, uncompromising. You know, he knows where he stands. He is completely comfortable with Palantir's offering to government, to security services. And that was just a small glimpse of a man that many in Silicon Valley have shunned because he has shunned them. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. And Ed, you're in San Francisco. And the tech sector really getting lift off today, unsurprisingly, from the macro trends from the Fed. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think I'm right in saying this is kind of the first big post-Fed rally since July. And I go straight to one chart, which is NASDAQ Ooh. futures jump, two-year yield goes down. It is a sh- snapshot of the story. And we have one of the great Bloomberg minds joining us in a moment who can get into this. But my point's very simple. 25 basis point hike and a warning from Powell that while they're making progress on inflation, they still foresee hikes to come. So for the market, it's about when does the policy pivot come? But in the context of tech, you ask the question, higher rates discount the present value of future profits. And that is why we look so closely at the relationship between yields and the NASDAQ 100 or NASDAQ futures in this case. You talked about Bitcoin earlier, but let's just talk about risk assets. It was a pretty broad rally. I'm looking at the NASDAQ 100, but also more speculative corners of the market. So the ARK Innovation ETF and also the Goldman Sachs non-profitable tech index. In other words, these stocks that trade at high, well, extreme multiples, high multiples, some relief for them because they have also been the most downtrodden corners of the market through this uh, hiking cycle. And now we start to look if there's some more positive future. And that includes Bitcoin, which let's be honest, Caro, you and I both said it earlier, it's a risk asset. Mm -hmm. Inflation hedge, not so much, not yet. Let's get into all of it. We're really pleased to say back Two days in a row, Isabel Lee is with us. And really, you were bracing yourself for the technology reaction to this macro story. First, let's dig into the tech shares and the rally on upwards. This is because they've been the most beaten up of late? Yes, and te- um, Ed had a great summary, making my job a lot easier. But a lot of tech shares really extended their gains, even hitting session highs. You have the likes of Meta, Amazon, Alphabet, all soaring north of 2% because, let's face it, they were pummeled last year. They don't really like rising interest rates because that's not good for them. That's not good for their projected profits. So now 
it's welcome news. They're happy. They celebrated it. They cheered it. As Ed mentioned, Nasdaq is up 2%, and it's probably just going to be the start for them. And today, of course, Meta, I'm sure you were covered it also. Post-market, they're trading well because of um, sales speed and rosy outlook. So maybe it's the start of a new regime, as some people have said. Right. Uh, on a day like today, there's two places I go. FedGo on the Bloomberg terminal, just to get a sense of where we sit with rates in this country. But then I go to Bitcoin. And, I, and you heard us talking about it. Bitcoin, the risk asset reaction. Is that a fair move by me to make? It kind of is because so Bitcoin for some reason dipped a little bit around 230 when Powell was starting to speak, but since then it soared 4%. Last I checked before I walked over here, it was it paired some of its gains, but still up by around 0.3%. So a lot of the people said that you know this is like Bitcoin is behaving like a tech share, so it's obviously rising as well. But I talked about this yesterday. Arcane Research said that it's going to be a bad month for Bitcoin because the Fed's path is still unclear. Like, yes, we got a downshift today, only 25 bips. But then are we going to pause? Are we going to pivot? So it still remains to be seen. But there are still some people who are very bullish on Bitcoin. I mean, it's worth remembering that quite often the moves we see precisely after the Fed announcement and press conference are completely undone the next day. So we wait, we watch for tomorrow's price action. But longer term, the bulls are still very bullish about Bitcoin. I mean, we're going to sell past 23,000 according to one particular ETF queen. Yes, so 23,000 is where we're at today. But according to the ETF queen named Kathy Wood, we're going to hit one 1 million in the next decade, which is really just seven years from now. And she cites several reasons, but then that's 4,200% higher from where we are today. And 1 million is the base, is the bull case, 1.48 to be exact. I don't want to get it wrong. Her bear case is 258,000 and her base case is 682. So regardless of whether it's the bull, the base or the bear, it's just kind of hard to imagine how we will get there especially if you look at where we are today. But this isn't the first time she said the 1 million targets. She's been reiterating it in the past. She said this in November when Bitcoin was hovering 15,000. So if there's one thing I admire about Kathy Wood, it's how she sticks to her guns. I mean, a lot of people love her. A lot of people dislike her. But if anything, she's really a woman of conviction, I would say. All right, Bloomberg's Isabel Lee, a very busy day for you and the Cross Asset team, and we still have a bit of a cycle to go. Now, sticking with crypto, thieves stole a record 3.8 billion, yes, billion, worth of cryptocurrency in 2022. That according to Chainalysis Research. Nearly half of it was from North Korea alone. Bloomberg's Jeff Stone's been writing about this data in this report and joins us. Now, it's interesting because two stories, right? A terrible year for crypto markets in 2022, but also a very bad year for those that had cryptocurrencies stolen, essentially. That's right. And also a bad year for the people who are stealing them in some ways, if you use that logic, Ed. Uh, this is a huge number. 1.7 billion of that 3.8 billion is stolen by uh, North Korean hackers. We know it's the same group, um, according to the United States government, that previously breached Sony years ago. If a lot of your viewers will remember that mm. and tried to steal upwards of a billion dollars from Bangladesh's central bank uh, years ago, too. So this is a busy hacking group really focusing on the same area that a lot of investors are, too. Why? Why are they doing it? It pays. It helps them get around uh, sanctions. You know, uh, the United Nations and the U.S. obviously have come out very forcefully against North Korea over the past few generations. And 
Cryptocurrency is harder to track, it is easier to hide, and most importantly, it's easy to steal. If you think back at the way that uh, U.S. intelligence agencies would have assessed that North Korea was selling counterfeit cigarettes or using other means to get around sanctions, um, this is the latest iteration of that. Hey, Jeff, we talked a lot about um, North Korea, uh, its role in this. What about the other side of the table? What is the U.S. government, for example, doing to prevent theft like this? The U.S. is scrambling to educate companies and investors and Americans um, about the the risk involved here. Um, this group has has really bullied um, cybersecurity defenders for a really long time. So, what the Treasury Department, for instance, is doing is uh, releasing bulletins and advising crypto companies and um, crypto adjacent companies about the risk of hiring North Koreans who are posing as non North Koreans in order to either gather intelligence or work on projects or steal information for Pyongyang. Next, anything that can be made safer? Protect your password. Be smart about which services you're using. Uh, watch Bloomberg. <laughs> well said. Love that, Jeff. A <laughs> well little said. bit of a tease. Bloomberg, Jeff Stone, it's a fascinating story, one of the most read on the terminal and indeed on .com. So thanks for coming on and talking all about it. Meanwhile, we've got so much more to delve into in terms of earnings. We've got the software maker Dynatrace, topping estimates, boosting full-year earnings outlook. We're going to be speaking with the CEO, Rick McConnell, back in a minute. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Now, shares of Dynatrace jumped after the company posted better than expected financial results, but crucially, also guidance. Dynatrace provides software which helps companies monitor their computing systems and identify performance issues with a keen focus on AI solutions. AI, of course it is. Well, joining us now, Rick McConnell, CEO of Dynatrace. Biggest jump for the shares, I think, since March of 2020. 
and you give strong guidance, which in this market is important. For you, was this about pricing that you were able to win? Was it about advantage over competition in terms of what you're offering? Talk to us through what's driving that ability to give strong guidance. Well, Ed, thanks uh, so much for having me. It really is about the market for digital transformation overall and then observability, our market, which is around a $50 billion space uh, specifically. And if you put those two elements together, you have a huge array of customers that are moving their workloads to the cloud. And as that happens, they need software that delivers answers and intelligent automation. You talked about AI earlier, intelligent automation from data that enables them to have the broad-based situational awareness to run their software environments. I'm curious about competition and whether you're kind of winning share or, or even displacing existing cloud platforms. We had Bill McDermott on the show the other day of ServiceNow. I know that ServiceNow has kind of been moving into um, this observability space. Talk to us about how you're faring in that regard. Well, we're very synergistic with ServiceNow deployments. Uh, a good number of our customers would have ServiceNow deployed. They still need the observability expertise that we provide through our AI ops platform to enable their environments to work perfectly, which is what we strive to do. And so that's, uh, that's what we typically see vis-a-vis ServiceNow. Generally, the biggest competitor that we have is do-it-yourself, DIY. And that is where customers today are using homegrown tools, open source, a variety of other solutions to create dashboards. A dashboard tells you red, yellow, green, is your software working? Mm. What it doesn't tell you is where the problem is and how to fix it. And again, that's what we can do at a very granular level within your IT ecosystem. Let's talk about Davis. Let's talk about the AI power behind Dynatrace. And what's interesting is you go to the meta earnings statement and they're talking about their prowess in AI. We're all talking about ChatGPT and OpenAI. How are you managing with talent at the moment, making sure that you've got the right people, they're secure, they're not suddenly being tempted away at great enormous expense to other companies that all want in on artificial intelligence? We do. A lot of our R&D out of Austria, actually, Europe in general. Uh, This is where the company was founded. And while we have people all over the globe, that's really our hub for R&D. And it is a a fabulous community of developers that we built over the course of well more than a decade to create the AI ops engine in Davis that that you talked about, Caroline. And talk to us a little bit about, you're also speaking very much to your investor base, it feels like. In the quotes in your press release, you're talking about investing thoughtfully, about managing a business prudently, about ensuring that you've got growth and profitability. Is that still very much what you need amid these macro headwinds? You have to keep talking about the bottom line and the profitability, the margins. I think this uh, this is an environment, as, as you all report on almost daily at this point, probably daily, that growth at all costs is sort of done. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good news is we have always managed Dynatrace with a balance of top line and bottom line growth. And the result of that is we see mid-20s overall ARR growth and mid-20s profitability in terms of operating margin and high-20s in free cash flow. This is a model that investors want today because it shows the cash flow generation capabilities of the company. And push us forward, go deep tech for us, go into the artificial intelligence vision that you have right now, because you are, as you say, strategically investing. Where do you invest? How do you envision the next five, 10 years for Dynatrace? 
a, a few areas of major investment. One is around automation, automation, automation. You can imagine how companies are doing IT operations and keeping their software working today. It's with an army of people sitting in front of a sea of glass, screens, looking at dashboards, trying to figure out, is it working? Is it not working? If it's not working, how to fix it? So automation is one of those areas of focus. Secondly, focusing on big data and big data analytics and doing that in real time with no re-indexing, no rehydration of data stores to make it fast, scalable, uh, super performant. And thirdly is around application security, which is yet another area that benefits, benefits substantially from being integrated deeply into your observability platform. So those three areas are areas of keen focus from an R&D perspective. Rick, I'm going to be a bit more direct with you and ask the same question Caroline did. I'm looking at how much cash you've got on your balance sheet and you talk and the commentary Caroline cited from your earnings statement. Are you going to hire people or do layoffs? And are you going to do M&A in 2023? Not planning on any layoffs. Uh, the good news is based on the model that we've got, Ed, uh, we've been able to modulate the hiring to manage to that model. And so we feel very good about we are where we are and we're continuing to grow headcount accordingly. In terms of, uh, in terms of other areas, organic, inorganic, uh, we'll continue to expand the company as, uh, as we see fit. Uh, in, in an M&A area, we can expand in that fashion as well with smaller tech tuck-ins to accelerate roadmaps. Rick, it's great to catch up with you. Thank you so much for your time. Mick McConnell, Thanks you. Thanks CEO you of Dynatrace. It's been a long day as earnings came out at 6.30 a.m. Eastern. Impression growth was primarily driven by the Asia-Pacific and rest-of-world regions. The year-over-year decline in pricing was primarily driven by strong impression growth, especially from lower monetizing surfaces and regions, lower advertiser demand, and foreign currency depreciation. While overall pricing remains under pressure from these factors, we have continued to make improvements to our ads targeting and measurement that we believe are driving more conversions and better returns for advertisers. Susan Lee, the CFO of Meta, and it's notable that Mark Zuckerberg really trying to hit home on the point of efficiency again on the call. He's really talking about how they've entered a somewhat different phase, they say, of the company. They grew so quickly for the like first 18 years of the company's growth This it's very hard to really crank on efficiency while you're growing that quickly. Right. Let's also, though, Ed, talk about where they are growing in the longer term, and it's towards a metaverse vision. It's towards perhaps, well, acquisitions in that field, and they got their first victory, didn't they? The Federal Trade Commission, a federal judge, has denied the FTC's request to block Meta's plan to buy virtual reality startup within Unlimited. But the judge also did prevent Meta from closing that deal until the agency decides whether to appeal. Let's get to Leah Nyland, who joins us more from Washington. And really extraordinary, the fact that, well, Lena Khan getting pushback in this way. Many felt that perhaps this is really her trying to be aggressive and it's denied. Yes, that, that was a little bit surprising. Um, the FTC can still appeal. Um, they have until probably next week to decide that. The judge gave them a one-week extension on blocking the deal until then and has called uh, a hearing next Tuesday. Um, so we'll, we'll have a little bit more then about whether they're going to keep pushing to block this deal or sort of let it through. Um, but this was sort of the big first court loss for um, Lena Khan's FTC. You know, she came into her role um, saying that the agency needs to be much more aggressive, block a lot more mergers. They 
they had filed a lawsuit against this one, and they also have the pending one against uh, Microsoft Activision. So um, it'll be interesting to see whether this one has any impact on that one as well. Leah, terrific reporting. Bloomberg sources telling us essentially about this sealed decision from the San Jose court. And as you characterize it right, you can either see it as a win for Meta or a loss for Lena Khan. But there is an opportunity here to appeal. So what are the chances that that happens and that it is successful? Well, there's actually a couple options for the FTC here. One thing that they could do is appeal to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in California. Um, this judge is ruling directly. Um, and then the Ninth Circuit would rule uh, on whether Meta could go forward with the seal or um, whether it is, remains blocked. The other option is the FTC could let Meta close this and then uh, go into its administrative court. And then there would be a, a longer trial focused on the deal. And at the end of that, if the FTC wins, it could ask um, Meta to sell this off. That's not uh, um, too unlike what they're doing now with um, Meta over the Instagram and WhatsApp deals. So um, they have a couple options for how they want to go forward. The third option, of course, would be sort of just to drop the lawsuit altogether and you know let um, Meta move forward with um, closing this deal next week. Over to you, FTC. Leah Nyland, it's great reporting. Thank you so much for bringing us that. And let's dig in. I mean, many had questioned the overall focus of the name and change, the focus on 2030s when you eventually get profitability from these investments right. in reality labs, in acquisitions such as within Ed. But for the here and the now, the investors are liking this focus in the near term on efficiency. This is the year of efficiency. And that's it. The 2023 slogan for Meta is secured. First earnings report. It's absolutely brilliant. It's interesting because, of course, he's being asked about generative AI on the call, <laughs> right? And he says, I'm equally as excited as everyone else, but not at the expense of efficiency. This is a very dull Mark Zuckerberg we've come into 2023 with, Carol. <laughs> I mean, learnt lessons. There were some investors pushing hard. They wanted to see a pullback in terms of capital spending. And look, maybe we will see more job cuts. There's talk about that middle management that still yeah. perhaps is under a lot of focus in terms of the effectiveness of having that. Really, Ed, this does look like a fascinating overall call as to, and I wonder if this share price reaction holds into tomorrow. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. You know, analysts might sleep on it. We'll see. That does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology, of course. Tons and tons and tons of tech earnings Thursday. We'll unpack it all. And don't forget, a lot to wrap up on our podcast. Check it out, Spotify, iHeart, or an Apple podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.